C-3PO uttered these fatalistic words. We seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. And I think we find it amusing because we've all been where C-3PO was in that moment, haven't we? I mean, there have been times in my life when I mean, he's just quoting me. And you've felt that way too, probably. Sometimes life feels exactly that way. We're going to talk about suffering today. Suffering in the life of a believer. I want to begin reading in 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Peter writes, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. Let's go back up to, to verse 12 where we began and start talking about this passage. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Suffering and pain and difficulties in this life are to be expected. They're normal if we can use such a word when talking about suffering. It's not a strange and unusual experience in this life for a follower of Jesus Christ to go through suffering. In fact, suffering in this life is not out of the ordinary for anyone, whether you are a person who is a Christian or not. It's a common human experience and one that a person doesn't get out of because they are a Christian. But for the follower of Jesus, our suffering and pain is infused with purpose. The Lord uses it for good in us. There have been teachings popularized within church circles that say if you have faith enough, then you will not experience suffering, and instead wealth and prosperity and blessing will fill your life. Now, as attractive as it may sound, that kind of teaching is in direct contradiction with what we're reading here in Peter's letter. It also contradicts the teachings of Jesus and Paul and James and the other writers of the Bible. It also contradicts the lives of these people and countless other believers throughout history who have lived and suffered and died for their faith in Jesus Christ throughout the centuries. A common thing that happens when suffering and pain come into our life is we start looking for an explanation for it. 
Why is this happening to me? Is God mad at me? Has God forgotten me? What have I done to deserve this? People have a habit of blaming God for their pain and troubles. Why have you allowed this bad thing to happen to me, God? If you really love me, you would have prevented this bad thing. There's the classic criticism that people bring against God, which says, if God is good, then he would not allow pain and suffering because there is pain and suffering. God must either not be good or he's so weak and anemic he doesn't matter anyway. That's a very limited and, dare I say, childish point of view about pain and suffering because it fails to consider the origin of pain and suffering. Who's responsible for it? That anything good can come from pain and suffering and how God has responded to our pain and suffering. Peter, he addresses this tendency that we have of going down that road of questioning God's love for us by saying that suffering is not unusual in the life of a believer, which is to say that the amount of suffering in our life is not a valid parameter for us to be measuring God's love for us. Let me say that one more time because it's important that we get our head around that and that we take hold of it. That the amount of suffering in our life is not a valid parameter for us to use for measuring God's love for us. When we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we're not given a get out of the troubles of life card. What Peter does here is simple, but it's very important and effective. There are no easy answers to the questions that are raised when we are suffering. Peter doesn't try to answer all of those questions for us. He doesn't act like those questions are unimportant. He doesn't give us easy answers with a lot of platitudes. Instead, he says this, don't let suffering freak you out. It's part of this life. Peter's talking mostly about the suffering that comes from persecution in the context of this passage. But what he says, it applies to all kinds of suffering faced in our life. One of the good things about suffering and pain and difficulties in our life is this, is that they're used by the Lord to refine us, to purify us, to mature us, to build our character, to make us beautiful souls. You might remember what Peter wrote earlier in this letter in, first, in the first chapter. He says in 1.6, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This same idea is also found in James's letter. James 1-2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This same idea is also found in Paul's writings. For example, in Romans 5-3, he wrote, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, 
because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, Therefore we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And in Romans 8, 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He says, don't even waste my time. One of the amazing blessings of being in relationship with God is that He gets good out of every single experience of our life. Every single one. We may not get to see the good that He gets out of some experiences of our life on this side of heaven, but we have been promised that it's true. Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. There are many things that happen in our life that we ask, how can anything good come from this terrible thing? I can't answer that question for you with the particulars, but I can tell you that it's true. The Lord is going to get good out of it. He is going to use even the worst things to accomplish good things. He's going to make flowers bloom in the deserts of our lives. He's going to bring blessings out of things meant to be curses. He's going to bring beauty out of the ashes. Why does He do it? Because He's a good God. He's a blessing God. He's a creative God. He's a faithful God. He's a sovereign God. He loves you. It's good to be a child of the king of the universe. Do you remember the movie Back to the Future? It featured a DeLorean car that Mr. Emmett Brown, Dr. Emmett Brown, <laughs> the amazing Dr. Emmett Brown, had converted into a time machine. A tremendous amount of power was needed to get that machine to do the work that it needed to do to transport us through time. Do you remember how much power it needed? Some of you, come on, 1.21 gigawatts, that's right. It was gigawatts, but they pronounced it gigawatts in that film for some reason. And the only way that could be obtained at the beginning of the film was through a lightning strike, you remember? But when Doc Brown travels into the future and he comes back, he's able to upgrade the power plant in the DeLorean time machine so that he could use household garbage to generate the necessary power for time travel. You might remember him tossing old banana peels and other garbage down into the fuel canister. Well, the Lord, He's done something even more amazing with the garbage in our lives. He's able to convert all of that garbage into something of eternal beauty in your life. Verse 13, 
Peter writes, But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. How should we react to suffering in our life? Should we take the fatalistic approach of C-3PO? No. Rather than thinking something strange is taking place or questioning God's goodness and love for us, Peter says we should rejoice. Why should we rejoice? Because, he says, when we suffer for our faith in Jesus Christ, when we experience difficulty because of the choice we have made to follow Jesus Christ, we are participating, sharing in the suffering of Jesus, which leads to also participating and sharing in the glory of Jesus. In case you think Peter is, uh, you know, some kind of idealist who didn't really live by the things that he taught, I want to remind us of a story from his life where he did exactly as he's advocating that we do here. Way back in Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles, they were arrested in the city of Jerusalem for teaching about Jesus and healing people in his name. And then after spending the night in jail and being flogged, they were released with strict orders not to preach about Jesus anymore. And look at, what, look at what is said about Peter and the other apostles' attitude and reaction to that suffering that they endured in Acts 5.41. It says, the apostles, including Peter, left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Jesus. <laughs> Peter did what he's advocating we do. He says, so that you will be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. The suffering we go through in this life serves to sweeten the goodness that's coming in the next life. As we share in the suffering of Christ, we will also share in the glory of Christ. Romans 8, 17. Verse 14 of 1 Peter 4, Peter continues, he says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. There's no glory or honor in suffering that comes into our life as a consequence of our sinful behavior. We're just getting what we deserve in that case. But when we suffer as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it says we're blessed. There's no shame in that. It's an honor. We're walking in the same path as our leader, Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew 5.10. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says this in John 15, 18. 
If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed, your, if they obeyed my teaching, they will also obey yours. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. Christian, sometimes we think that if we can just represent Jesus better and present him better, emphasizing the positive and de-emphasizing the negatives, that people will then like Jesus and become his followers. Based on Jesus' own words here, that's not true. Based on Jesus' words, that's not true. Not everyone is going to like Jesus. Not everyone is going to be a follower of Jesus. There are things about Jesus that are offensive and maddening to people. He challenges our self-sufficiency and our moral choices and our claims of being good. He strips away the fictional tales that we tell ourselves and others about our goodness. He's unimpressed with all of us. He demands our exclusive allegiance to himself. He wants to be the boss of everything. And that doesn't sit well with a lot of folks. John wrote in his letter, 1 John 3.13, Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. This was a regular part of a Christian's life in the first century. It's been a regular part of a Christian's life throughout history in various parts of the world. It is a regular part of a Christian's life in some areas of the world right now. It is increasingly becoming a part of a Christian's life in our own culture. There are critics and pundits within the church today who want to put all of the blame for the hatred that Christians are receiving from the general culture on Christians themselves. They say it is the fault of certain segments of the Christian church for why the church is despised so much by people. Now there's obviously some truth in some of that criticism, but it's not the whole truth or the whole explanation for the hatred directed at Christians. Jesus said the world will hate us because of him. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul wrote, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Does it matter what color you are? Does it matter what faith tradition within Christianity you are? Does it matter what your political bent is? Does it matter what country you're in? It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. 
If you are a legit follower of Jesus Christ, there is going to be some hate coming your way from the world. That's what the Bible says. In verse 16, Peter uses the term Christian. Did you know that that word Christian is used only three times in the whole Bible? It was a term originally created by unbelievers to refer to followers of Christ. Now, some 2,000 years later, this word Christian can mean many different things other than simply referring to those who are followers of Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons why I make a deliberate effort to use other terms besides just Christian to refer to followers of Jesus when I teach. Sometimes you guys go, why are you a Christian, believer, follower of Jesus, follower of Jesus Christ? Yeah, I mix all that stuff up and I put all those together to make sure we're getting what we're really talking about here. I want people to know that I am not talking about a political position or a social group or an element of Western culture. I'm talking about a person who has had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ and has dedicated their life to following Him. A person is not born a Christian. Being raised in a particular type of home or in a particular country or culture does not make a person a Christian. Attending church does not make a person a Christian. Being a good person does not make you a Christian. A Christian is a person who believes Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the eternal God, who entered into our time and space, died a sacrificial substitutionary death for our sins, came back to life on the third day, demonstrating His power over sin and death, and is a person who the Holy Spirit has brought to life spiritually and is transforming into the likeness of Jesus as they follow Him through this life, seeking to obey Him in all things. That is a Christian. And that's what I mean when I use the word Christian. That's what the Bible means. Verse 17, Peter continues here and he says, For it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? The judgment that believers are facing is the suffering and the pain in this world, in this life. The Lord uses suffering in our life to refine us, to purify us, to make us beautiful and of godly character. Remember 1 Peter 4.12, we wrote it, read it a little bit earlier, where he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Earlier in his letter in chapter 1, verse 6, In all this you, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 
Sometimes as a believer, it might feel like you're going through all kinds of difficulty in this life and denying yourself pleasures and indulgences while your unbelieving friends and neighbors are living a life of pleasure and ease. Maybe you feel like that sometimes. First, I want to say that it's not entirely true, even though it might look like that sometimes. Second, you're living through your judgment now. Their judgment is coming. And it's not going to and it's going to be unbelievably awful in comparison to what you're facing in this life. Someone once said, This life is as close to hell as the believer will ever get. And this life is as close to heaven as the unbeliever will ever get. That's a terribly tragic thing to think about. There's nothing pleasant about it. But the coming judgment of God upon unrepentant, unredeemed humanity is what Peter's talking about here. Now, if you are not a believer yet, you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you're not a Christian yet, I want to say to you that this terrible judgment that Peter is talking about is very much avoidable. It doesn't have to be a certainty in your life. Ask Jesus Christ to save you. Put your faith in Jesus, believing that he died on that cross as a sacrifice for your sins. Ask him to forgive you and to come into your life and to change you. Turn away from living your life according to your own ideas and follow Jesus and his way instead. And I want to say you can do it right now. Right this second. In fact, pray this prayer with me right now as a way to mark this moment and your decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Just bow your head right now, right where you're at. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. Forgive me for living my life my way. I am going to follow you from now on instead. Come into my life and make me into the person you want me to be. Thank you for saving me and giving me a new future. In your name, amen. Peter ends the chapter in this passage with verse 19. It says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. We're to put ourselves into the hands of our faithful Creator. Christian, remember that your God is faithful. He can be trusted. He keeps His promises. He can be depended on. Never forget that suffering in our life is not a commentary on the faithfulness of our God or His love for us. Suffering comes into our life in lots of different ways from lots of different sources. It's part of living in this broken world. And it's hard to see meaning or purpose in much of it, especially while we're going through it. There's one thing, though, that is constant in all of it. Our 
faithful creator. He didn't break this world. He didn't break this world. But he knows how to make sense of all of it, even now in its broken state. And he's bringing redemption through all of it. Trust him. This is a life of faith we're living, trusting in his promises. And we've been given the promise that the Lord will use all of the stuff in our life for good and his glory. Finally, Peter tells us to continue to do good. In other words, don't give up. Don't believe the lie that your life in Christ is in vain. It is worth it. Galatians 6, 9 said, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So in closing, I want to say, Jesus, he didn't promise us that it would be sunny skies all the time in this life. He promised that he would be with us no matter what the weather is like. John 16, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have overcome the world. That we can take heart in the midst of anything and everything that comes into our life both in the good times and the bad times, in the rejoicing and in the crying. That we've not been created for suffering. We've been created to be your children. I pray that you would encourage your people this morning, Lord. Remind them of your love that they are not alone, that they have not been abandoned, that they are yours now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.